This morning, we begin a brand new sermon series in our church. One that will lead us through the fall and in the winter towards Easter. We're going to go together through the gospel written by John, the disciple and apostle of Jesus Christ. If you have a Bible with you, you can open it up and follow along. Today we begin in chapter 1. And as you open your Bibles to that place, those familiar words from that gospel, words that you've read many times, may remind you of another story in the Bible, a story found in the very beginning. The words I read to you now are from Genesis, from the very first chapter of our scriptures. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said... What did God say in verse 3 of Genesis 1? Let there be light. The very first things that's recorded that the Lord ever spoke. His very first words that we have written down. He spoke light. And do you know what happened when he spoke his powerful word? What appeared? Light. You know, Cooper in our house, when we want to turn on the lights, we have to go to a light switch And you turn on the switch, the lights come on. But God turns on the lights with his voice. The very first thing God ever said was let light appear and light exploded across darkness. You imagine light overwhelming the darkness. And the darkness had no power whatsoever to contain the light. That was the very beginning Something dramatic happened just a few chapters later. God created us. And you know what we did? We ushered in darkness without even meaning to do it. Adam and Eve listening to the deception of the serpent, disobeying the command of God and choosing for themselves to make themselves master. Right? To lay God's commands to the side and decide to go a different direction. And by listening that and disobeying, darkness entered. Because the consequence of sin is death. And with that very first sin, death is ushered into a world that was filled with light. Darkness didn't exist that we know of at that time. It was just light. It was a relationship with God and with man. The way it was always designed to be. You and him together. We brought in this darkness through the lies of Satan. And then as you flip through the pages of Holy Scripture, this is the story of us trying to get back to the light. You see, God still dwells in that same light in heaven in his throne. And he gave us the law. 613 rules, ways to live, so we can slowly and meticulously take the darkness back out of ourselves and try to join him in the light. But the problem was it acted as a magnifying glass if you remember what those used to look like. 
And the ways that they lived this law out only revealed the darkness that was so deeply entrenched in them. Every time that you take that animal's life and that animal would lose its life to cover your sin, it only further revealed your need for more light. Why? Because that animal would die and the very next thing you would do is sin again. You see, that's the consequence for sin. It's death. And God demanded that this animal would give up its life because someone needed to lose its life when sin took place. It wasn't because God loved dead things. It wasn't because God hated his animals. It's because there's real consequences for the sins that we make. Something had to lose its life for sin to be covered. The animal would lose its life and we'd sin again. The animal would lose its life and we'd sin again. Darkness keeps on winning. And God dwells in this unapproachable light, but we can't attain any of that. The words of God to bring light into this world seem to be hindered by the power of darkness for so long. And then one day an angel appeared and told the story of a baby that would be born. A baby who would be God in the form of man to live on this earth. God was coming home. Light was coming down. Because there wasn't a way within us for us to approach that light. God decided to speak one more time. Remember the last time God spoke? Light appeared. Well, God's word was about to do a new thing. And on that night, many years ago, a baby was born to Joseph and Mary. And that baby was the word of God. And when that word appeared, do you know what else appeared? Light. As John sits down to pen his story, the story of Jesus, he does it a little bit differently than the others. You see, John would have known Matthew. They would have followed Jesus together. And Mark, a follower later, had written his gospel already. The powerful stories of Jesus. Miraculous miracle after miraculous miracle. And then Luke, working together with Peter, wrote a meticulous gospel. What time of day Jesus got up what town Jesus would walk to, what things he'd eat for breakfast. Luke was very obsessed with the details. Maybe that's you. Maybe you like the details. That's Luke. He does that. You might be a Luke, Michael. Luke was like that. I'm more a John. John's a scattered individual. He likes a little bit of everything all the time. And when you read it, it doesn't seem like there's an order to it like all the other ones. Because the other ones seem to be organized by the pattern of his life from the very beginning to the very end. But when is John writing this? When you begin to look at history, do you know what you notice? John wrote this gospel after 70 AD. John is sitting down to write this 40 to 50 years after Jesus has passed away. John most likely is in his 70s. Most likely a whole new generation of Christians have entered the church. By this time, the temple has been destroyed in Jerusalem. The sacrificial system, the priesthood, 
the feasts where you travel to the city, the Romans took that away. The people are scattered. They don't know how to worship. They don't know how to be reconnected with God. Everything's off. And John sits down to write the story. But he doesn't start like the other ones. Because he's not going to write a biography of Jesus' life. It's not going to go through his day-to-day activity, his year-by-year activity. This is a case for who he is. He's presenting evidence. He calls his miracles signs. They're a sign of his identity. The miracles that he chooses, the stories that he tells, he's picking the ones that lay the greatest case for who Jesus claimed to be, the Messiah. John is focused as he picks his stories. He's focused as he lays them out. It's not sporadic. It's not chaotic like you might think. But you think, why does he leave out so many of the important stories that Matthew, Mark, and Luke put down? Well, pay attention to how John is laying out his case. He picks the stories that people need to hear to know who Jesus really was. He's weaving together an argument for his identity as Messiah. So John sits down to write this story for the scattered people who don't know their Messiah. So where do you begin? Don't you love when someone gets baptized? They come up front, they stand in front of the mic, their hands are all shaky, and they start to tell their testimony. And what does their testimony start with? When I was little, or I grew up in a Christian home, they all start kind of in a similar place. Well, look at how the Gospels of Jesus' life start. How does Matthew's Gospel start? Do you remember? We probably talked about this in youth group Sunday school sometime, hey? Starts with a genealogy. When Matthew sits down to write his gospel, he wants you to know that Jesus was related to who? King David and Father Abraham. You need to remember that. Why? Because only the Messiah could come from those lines. He had to come from those lines. So Matthew starts his argument right there. The king and the father. Mark, when he begins his gospel starts with the prophecy of Isaiah hundreds of years before that John the Baptist would come and would lead the way for the king of kings. So Jesus is now the son of David, the son of Abraham, and the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah. Where does Luke start? Starts with the speaking of an angel. You see, God in heaven has sent his divine messengers to proclaim that Jesus is coming and John the Baptist is coming. So that you know who he is. Abraham, David, Isaiah, the angels. So where does John choose to start? John goes back to the very beginning, to the very first words that God spoke. And he says, in The beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything made that was made. He was there in the very beginning. See, John just doesn't want to convince you with his lineage, 
with the miraculousness of his birth, John goes back to the very first words God ever spoke. And he wants people to know Jesus was there and that was him. That moment when God said, let there be light. And light exploded across the earth for the very first time. John is saying to the people, that was the Jesus that I lived with. That was the Jesus that I watched the miracles of. That was the Jesus who washed my feet. He spoke and light exploded across darkness for the very first time. That was him. That was him. That was him. In him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I used the illustration the other day with the youth group of a flashlight. And when you turn on a flashlight in a dark room, that light just explodes across the room. And it's amazing how darkness can't get in the way of that. When the light turns on, the darkness flees, and there the room is illuminated. And it was as if in that moment when Jesus appeared, light crashed onto the earth for a second time. And darkness couldn't overwhelm it. Darkness couldn't understand it. The divine had re-entered creation. Jesus, the very words of God, walking around with men. Jesus, the light of life. Do you have to remember that when Adam and Eve were created on the earth, it was through the words of God. It was God's word that brought life into the world for the very first time. And that word has reappeared. Life in the form of light. So as John sits down to pen this story, we wonder why no one recognized him. After all the things that had happened, after John the Baptist had prepared the way, after Jesus had lived this miraculous life, why had a whole nation of people who had waited hundreds and hundreds of years for their king to come back, why had all of them missed light coming back to the world? They had waited for their victorious king. And yet John is writing to a generation of people that seem to have completely missed the boat. How could they have missed him? How could I miss him? John chapter 1, verse 6. Follow along. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all may believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. That was John the Baptist. See, a lot of people would have had serious questions about John. John's birth was foretold by angels. John is a part of miraculous events. John has this incredible following. And people would have wondered who he was. Was he really the Elijah of old returned in a new man? Was he one of the prophets that lived in the days of Elijah? Was he the Messiah? Was he the one we were supposed to follow? Who was this man? So John the disciple clarifies it and says he was not the one. He was simply pointing towards the one we were supposed to follow. He was not the light himself. Verse 9 says, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. 
He was in the world, the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. That's the irony of the gospel. There's a nation of people who waited their whole lives for him, and their fathers and mothers had waited their whole lives for him. Their grandparents had lived their whole lives for them. Like they had all waited for this Messiah to appear. If you lived your entire life waiting for a miraculous moment, and every generation before you, going back as many generations as you can remember, if they all waited for a miraculous moment, and you found out that all of you had missed it, wouldn't that confuse you? These were his people. These were not strangers to him. Can you imagine if you came home and no one recognized you? If I came home and Chantel had no idea who I was? Cooper and Jesse and Austin just looked at me? My dog barked at me like I was a stranger? No idea. John is claiming that the king of Israel... After a thousand years of waiting, the king came home and no one even noticed. His people didn't even recognize him. Who did recognize him? People that weren't even a part of his kingdom. Other people, scattered people, Gentile people, and a few of his own. Verse 12 says, to all who did receive him, Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children who were not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And this incredible adoption takes place. See, this is setting up the book of John. This is all a prologue. This is preparing you to read the gospel. Because you need to understand the circumstances of what happened. And especially if this is a new generation of people. See, if you brought a non-Christian friend to church for the very first time, what would you warn them about before they got into the service? Think about that. What would you warn them about? Well, there's going to be food, and it's not going to cost you anything. That that happens out at the front. Okay, and you're going to come in. You're going to sit in someone's spot, and they're going to get grumpy. Just be aware of that. So find a spot. No one sits. What else? We're going to sing songs, but you don't have to sing. The songs are kind of personal. Some of them are a little uncomfortable. You don't have to sing if you don't want, but you can. Do we, do we stand up or can I sit down? Well, you should probably stand up. People will notice if you, I don't know. What do you say to someone who's never been here? The pastor's going to go up. How long is he going to talk? We have no idea. No idea. <laughs> if he gets on a roll, we have no idea. Do I do the hand thing? If you want, you don't have to. Does everyone else do the hand thing? No, not really, but you can if you want to. People don't know. And John is doing something like that right now. He's laying this. Just so you know, Jesus was the creator of the world. Just so you know, Jesus came into the world and no one seemed to recognize him. Why is that a big deal? Because their temple is gone. Their priesthood is gone. Their sacrificial system You see, John is claiming that the victorious king prophesied a thousand years ago. The victorious king came here. And everyone's looking around going, 
nothing is fixed. It's all broken. It's actually worse than it was 70 years ago. And you're claiming the king who came to fix all of this was here? He's saying, yes. Yes, he was. That's why you read this to prepare yourself for the gospel. This is verse 14. Now we're getting into the really good stuff. Look at this. This is my favorite verse here in the prologue. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. That word means meat. The word of God, the voice of him from creation that said, let light appear, and it exploded across darkness. John says, that powerful word became one of us. He bled He slept, he ate, he cried, he became one of us. I'm talking the voice that banged in the beginning and the universe expanded. He became one of us, like you and like me. And he uses that word, the dwelling place, the tabernacling. And right away all the people of Israel have this picture in their mind. They remember, they remember the stories passed down of the tabernacle, of the tent that would be in the middle of the people and all the people would circle it. And John says, that's the way that the God of light and love came down. Like the tabernacle that was in the center of Israel, three tribes on either side and the Levites camped even closer. But the Levites had to camp evenly around the tabernacle. God was meticulous about this. Why? So that his tabernacle would be at the very center of his people the very center. Do you understand? The way that they set up their tents to surround God was crucial because he demanded to be the center of his people. But the relationship with him was a lot different back then because in the tabernacle, was God visible or was he hidden? Was he? He was hidden. What was he hidden behind? He's hidden behind the curtain. God came down to them, but they couldn't see him. God dwelt in the Holy of Holies in the back of the tabernacle, covered with the curtain so that you and I couldn't make contact with the all-consuming light of God. Because you can't handle his glory and neither can I. His glory is his weight. It's the weight of who he is. Do you understand? He still dwells in this light from the beginning of creation. This perfect light, this all-consuming light. That's still him. He's holy. He's righteous. And we're not. There's just darkness. So this shield is put in front of us so that he could be near us, but never would you have a chance to see him. It would consume you. It would destroy you. So the people were given the gift of God being right in the center of them. But this big shield was put up in the way so they can never see each other. I want to be close to you, so I come closer to you. But man, I don't want to look at you. So I just put up the shield so that I never see you. And that's God's relationship for so long. I want to be right in the middle of you, but how dare you even think you can look at me? 
John says Jesus came to dwell in the center of the people one more time. But this time, was the glory hidden? Was it veiled? Or was it visible to all people to see? That's the watershed moment of the Messiah coming in the form of a man. God was bringing his glory back to the people. Was he hiding it under a bushel? Oh no, he was going to let it shine. Was he putting it in a cloud up above Mount Sinai so that you couldn't see him? Sheltered inside the smoke? He was making it visible. I just love those images of the Old Testament. God is always veiled, but Jesus came to remove that veil. Let's read a few more verses, then the pastor will be done. John bore witness about him, and John the Baptist cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Why? For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God, the only God, who's at the Father's side. He has made him known. He has made him known. Let's end, let's end with the part that came first. Let's finish with verse 18. He has made him known to you. This God that you could never know, this God that was separated from you forever, Jesus came so that you could know who he was. That's why the whole Gospel of John is written to identify the Christ. It's all assigned to who he actually claimed to be. It's so that you could know this God that you've always been distanced from. God claims to be our parent, but you've never lived with him. Jesus came to change all of that. But he also came to bring grace upon grace. It makes me think of that verse that we have on the wall. You see, verse 17 says, The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. This week, as I stood here and I preached to an empty room, which is much less intimidating, I looked up at the wall and I saw this. It's from 2 Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, who wrote down that we need to grow in grace and knowledge. Grace, the gift that God has given us, knowledge, the truth of who he is and the truth of who we are. But in this circumstance, the knowledge of him. You see, Moses didn't usher that in. Moses didn't usher in grace upon grace to you and your family. Moses ushered in the law. Because there was no righteousness within us, a system was created to try to develop that righteousness. And it didn't work. 613 reasons why it didn't work. Do you know why? Because you can't generate light. These rules were supposed to be ways of us slowly pulling the darkness out of our hearts. But our hearts are just dark. So there was no way. You would kill your favorite calf and you'd sin again. And you'd kill your favorite lamb and you'd sin again. It was a broken system because there's no light inside of our hearts by nature. 
We're sinful from birth. That's where Jesus came to bring grace upon grace. He came full of righteousness and he takes the darkness in your own heart and he replaces it with his own righteousness. He says, I know there's no righteousness in you, but you can have mine. I know that because of your sin, you deserve death. That's the penalty for what you do. I'll take that penalty and I'll substitute for you the righteousness that I brought. Jesus, I don't deserve that. I know. But Jesus... Who am I to deserve that? Who am I in light of what you've done? And who are you? You'll understand. It's grace and it's truth. The truth is that you deserve death. Grace is that it's not what you're going to get. You're going to get life. Life? Yes. Life. Jesus came to bring you life. Jesus came to bring you life. Jesus came to bring you life. Not death. As we go into communion, just allow your hearts to be moved by that. That we as a church are proclaiming that message. How many years ago did I come here? Do you remember? I was a child. I was a child. Who did you think you were hiring me? I was a child. And you told me that Bridgeway Church was about glorifying God and making him known. Really? That's what we do, hey? We glorify God and we make him known. Okay, let's give that a try. And all these years later, I'm still wrapping my mind around, what does that look like? That's what we do. That's who we are. That's our identity that we wear. We glorify him and we make him known, huh? Okay, let's do that. And that call hasn't changed. If that's what we claim to do, let's do that. Right now, in your life and in my life, let's glorify him and make him known. What does that look like for you? Think about it. As you build houses, what does that look like? As you take care of people's money, what does that look like? As you live your life in Riverview, caring for your friends and praying for your children and grandchildren, what does that look like to glorify God and make him known? As you work on the farm, as you work in town, as you teach in the school, what does that look like? As we come before God with our children and grandchildren, lead them in prayer, teach them to confess our sin and to give God the praise and the glory, what does that look like? To glorify him and make him known. So here's my invitation to you. Come with me. As a church, let's do this together. Let's recommit to this decision we made so many years ago to glorify God and make him known. Let's be the light on the hill. Let's make a difference in our city and in our families. Let's live a life that shines a beautiful light and reflects the glory of God to other people to glorify him, right? And let's live lives as such in our own community and in our own families that constantly make him known to people. And when people say, who is that God that you follow? Who is that God that you worship? You say, let me tell you about my best friend. Let me tell you about the king. 
Father, as we go into communion right now, I pray that this symbolic act and this meditation would stir our hearts to remember the reason why we chose to follow you in the first place. When we were little kids, when we were adults, whenever it was, to glorify you and make you known. Would this act of communion take us back to that? Would we be thankful all over again for what you did for us? And as we read through the Gospel of John, would our hearts be convinced over and over again of the grace that you give us, the truth that you bring, the life that you provide? Thank you, Jesus, for coming back to rescue us. Thank you for rescuing me and my family. Thank you for the hope and peace that you give. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.